You're listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast, where we make travel educational and fun. Grab your shades to do some California dreaming as we head to Yosemite National Park. Thank you for listening to the RV Homeschool Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Steuben. We are a family of four with two elementary age daughters that travel the U.S. and Canada in our Jayco Seneca. So we have a big rig, we tow a Jeep behind us, and we love traveling to the national parks. We're actually trying to bring our girls to all of the national parks before they head off to college. Um, and since they're only seven and eight, we have a little bit of time to get that done. We love reporting about the different tips and tricks that we learned from our travels, and so hopefully by bringing that to you, it can make your travels much easier. So today we are talking about Yosemite National Park. There's so many wonderful things about Yosemite National Park um, that you're going to love. John Muir said this of the Sierra Nevadas, which is the mountain range where it's at. He described the Sierras as clean, pure, and full of divine lessons which is an excellent way to describe it. Yosemite Valley and the Mariposa Grove are also one of the first areas that were protected by the federal government for the enjoyment of the people. And this actually happened back in 1864 with the Yosemite Grant, which was signed into power by Abraham Lincoln. So this area has actually been protected for a very long time. It's of course not the first national park, technically, that'd be Yellowstone, but it still was one of the first that was protected in terms of a government protected area that's meant for everyone to enjoy and kept for many years for people to enjoy. So that is really cool as well. And Yosemite was the place that really, I think, motivated President Theodore Roosevelt to put into place all the protections and the and the laws with the Antiquity Act in order to protect federal areas and national parks and kind of make all of that a reality. And that was part of a camping trip where he came out to meet with John Muir after reading some of his writings about Yosemite area and the different areas down there. And he went out for this four-day camping trip and um, legend has it he ditched his uh, secret service or protection at the time and just headed with Muir and they camped out under the stars and he loved the area. He got to see where the um, groves were. They went down into the Mariposa Grove. He got to see where the um, demolishing of some of that was happening with the redwoods being cut down and uh, the sequoias being cut down. So it really was a motivating time for him then to come back and put some different protections into place. He also made Yosemite an official national park at that time too. So that was something that Roosevelt actually did. So there's a lot of reasons to see it, a lot of cool history behind it, and it's absolutely beautiful. Once when I was on my um, Instagram feed and I just asked people what they thought their favorite park was or what they would recommend if, if a family was only going to go to one national park, which one should it be? And overwhelmingly, there were two parks that came to the top of the list and Yosemite was, of course, one of those parks. You can probably guess what the second park is, but if you don't know, that'll be our next podcast where we talk about that park. So it's really a beautiful park. It's a place where people just love um, being in nature and getting to see all the beautiful scenery. So 
there's plenty of reasons to go enjoy it. Now let's talk about actually getting there and enjoying it. We like to start with logistics, so let's talk about getting to Yosemite National Park. So Yosemite is in the northern Sierra Nevadas, and the Sierra Nevadas, of course, are the mountain range that are pretty much the backbone of California, I guess you can think of them. They head really from the northern part of California, kind of where it meets up with the Cascade Mountain Range, um, which, of course, travels up into Oregon and Washington. But So it's all the way in the northern part of California, and then it moves its way down almost to Bakersfield, so really pretty far down in the southern part of California. So this is a huge stretch of a mountain range. So if you're coming into California from a state that's east of it, which will be most of us, so from the south side you have I-15 coming down from Las Vegas pretty much, or I-40 coming across from Arizona, they meet together in Barstow and then you get onto a smaller highway, 58, that kind of takes you up to Bakersfield and you're traveling that north, kind of near cities like Visalia and Fresno. Those are some of the names that you're going to hear, um, Merced and then kind of Modesto and stuff. So if you're coming from the south side, that's the route that you're taking and the major highways. If you're coming from the north, you'd probably be coming in from I-80 out of Nevada. So you come into kind of the Reno Tahoe area, north of Tahoe, and then you can cut across and head down one of the smaller roads like by through Sacramento onto that highway over into Merced and stuff, or you can take maybe one of the smaller routes through the mountains, although you're going to want to check the weather on that. So in the winter months, they might not be open. So those are really the north and south access points for year round. Now, in the summer months, there's also Tioga Road, which is open, and that's also known as Highway 120, and that will go from 395, which is a California state highway that goes north to south on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevadas, and it will connect you through Yosemite National Park and then take you onto the west side of the park. So Highway 120 is a great option and will significantly cut down the hours that you need if you're coming over from kind of the middle of the state or anywhere, um, if you're coming over from Death Valley or you're coming over from Nevada, we were coming from Great Basin National Park. That was our last stop before this. So we were coming from this side as well. But again, Tioga Road is only open during the summer when the weather is good. So you could easily have a GPS that you're checking on um, routes. And if you're looking at stuff during the summer, it's going to tell you you can take that route. And then if you're there after the snow starts falling and they close it, which is probably late October or sometime in November, they're going to close the road. And then it won't open up again until they're able to fully clear it. Um, So sometime in the late spring, early summer. So be sure that you know if that road's closed or not. On the Yosemite National Park page, as soon as you go to their website, they tell you immediately if Tioga Road is, is passed. It's pretty much the highest alert right at the top of the page. So you'll know that it is closed, but you kind of want to know beforehand while you're trying to plan whether or not you have a three to four hour detour of other highways to get across the Sierra Nevada range if you can't take Tioga Pass. So that's one key thing to know is Tioga Pass is a great option to take. We took it in our RV. We didn't feel that it was anything that significantly scary. I know it has the it's the highest elevation for any of the passes in California, so um, I guess that makes it a pretty tough pass. But it, it didn't seem 
like an unusual pass for us and um, we have a super C so um, we have that big diesel engine it didn't have any troubles trying to climb that and nothing felt really like a sharp steep drop off where we didn't have any shoulder or um, we didn't have the ability to pull over and just kind of let the engine cool if we needed to with the brakes or anything there definitely um, were plenty of places to pull over and we were able to do it slowly so I, I don't think that taking that road is anything that scary um, but we also do a lot of mountain driving so uh, maybe some people would feel a little less comfortable with it, but I don't think it's one of the worst passes out there. So I wouldn't be too afraid of it. Just take your time. And then the other thing to know is if you are taking that road and then heading over, or really if you're taking any of the three routes from the western side that come into the park, there are significant limitations if you are coming with an RV. And this was one of the hardest things that I was trying to navigate because the last thing you want to do is start getting towards Yosemite and then realize there's a tunnel and you're not going to fit through. And now you're stuck trying to figure out how you're going to work in your reservations and stuff like that. So I just want to take a few minutes to talk about those three uh, roads that you take on the western side of the park. So the three roads that are going to get you into Yosemite Valley and what the limitations are. So if you don't have a big rig, skip ahead a few minutes. You, you probably don't care about this, but if you do, please listen because I don't want you to be stuck thinking you're getting through somewhere and and then you realize that you're not. So the th for the Yosemite Valley entrance into the main Yosemite Valley, and we'll talk about kind of four different main areas to the park, but I highly recommend that if you're going to Yosemite, make sure you put Yosemite Valley on your to-do list of, of what you're going to see because it's it's phenomenal. It's probably the, it is the busiest part of the park, but it's, that's for a good reason. It's just absolutely beautiful and it's kind of the, the highlight of Yosemite. So be sure you do the valley. Now there's three roads that will take you into the valley. So kind of the different entrance centers on that side. So from, if you were to take Tioga Road or you're coming in from further west onto Highway 120, that's kind of the northwest highway that, um, so then it goes southeast as it dips down into Yosemite Valley. And it's also called Big Oak Flat Road. This is um, a road, it's not terribly windy or steep or anything crazy, but you are probably not going to want your RV with you on this for a few reasons. One, it does have a little bit of kind of um, twisting and turning. So I think that there are some limitations. I don't think it's super tight for here. I think that it says you could be up to like a 45 foot RV and handle this road. But the problem you're going to get into is that there's three tunnels you're going to pass as you're coming into Yosemite Valley. And if I remember correctly, I was driving when we were doing the tunnels, so I wasn't able to write the dimensions down, but I'm pretty sure the first sign said 1310 for height, the minimum height on the tunnel, so not too big of a deal. I think most of us can fit that. I think the next one was 136, and then the final one, I believe, was 106 or 103. So we have a Super C, uh, Jayco Seneca. The specs on the sheet say that it's 13.1. So we have 13 feet, one inch up to the air conditioning unit on the top. We actually have our um, internet extender stuff that kind of goes above that. So we like to see a clearance of 13.6 when we go someplace. 
our uh, garage door at our home RV shop is 14 feet. And even that sometimes feels like a bit of a push. So it's really nice to see a 14 foot clearance. But I can guarantee you that even if a tunnel is 10-6 on the outer edge, which of course means at the center of the tunnel, you have more clearance. I'm certainly not fitting a 13 foot RV through that. So I think if you have a smaller um, a smaller class B or you're in a van or you're pulling a trailer and so you have a lower height that might be fine for you but be sure you look at the Yosemite Parks website for the tunnel limits and I'll link that in the show notes so you can find it easily I had a hard time finding this when we were searching for everything um, because you know most of your big RVs are not going to fit through those tunnels so that was the option from Big Oak Flat Road now we did end up taking this road a number of times in our Jeep because we stayed in Groveland which is just a little further out of the park on Highway 120 and I'll talk more about that at the end when I talk about places to stay Um, and going through with the Jeep was just fine and that's always a great way to travel but if you don't have that option or you're trying to camp in the park, just know that if you are in a big rig, you're not going to be able to come in through Highway 120. Another way to get into the park is Highway 41, and this comes up from the south. So you head up from the south and it gets into the Mariposa Grove area. And there's a lot of great things to see on the south part of the of the park, and we'll talk about some of those things. But the big thing to know about, this is also called Wawona Road, and the big thing about this, though, is there is the Wawona Tunnel. And um, you may have heard of people talk about Tunnel View or getting pictures at Tunnel View, which is this phenomenal view. You'll definitely want to see it while you're in Yellowstone. Um, and there's this tunnel, and you can stop there. There's a parking lot, and you can take this picture where you're seeing El Capitan, Half Dome, and Bridalvea Falls all in the same shot. It's really spectacular. You're just getting this high point view of the whole valley, and it's phenomenal. But that tunnel is, I believe, 10-3 or 10-2. So it is a small tunnel. And there's no way our RVs fit through that. And I think for a lot of other people, your RVs not fitting through that either. So again, that's the south entrance coming up on Highway 41. There's places to camp down there, um, but you'll have to have a different vehicle to actually drive up into the park. So then your last option for Yosemite Valley is Highway 140. And this is coming um, straight from the west, and it's kind of coming into the Arch Rock entrance. And it's also called El Portal Road is the other um, name that you might here for it. This, it states on the NPS website that this has a height limit of 12 foot 10 inches. And I'm not sure where they're deciding that limit because as far as I can tell, there's no tunnel on this actual road. We didn't drive this road, so I cannot confirm that there's no tunnel, but I can't find anything in the research that says that says there's a tunnel here. Plus, I know people with big RVs who have camped in Yosemite Valley, so they, they had to have gotten in there somehow. And I think it, that is through this Highway 140. Now, having said that, technically, we don't fit under that limit. So if there is something that that's going to be a, uh, an issue for your RV. If you have a taller height, that might be a problem as well. So I still don't have a confirmation whether or not we can get our RV into the park. And we didn't camp in the park, so it wasn't an issue this time, but I'd love to know that for the next time we're going. So those of you out there who have taken Highway 140, if you can let me know if you can get through that or, or if there's any tunnels there, that'd be great. So there you go. That's a little bit of the details. If you're trying to actually get all the way into the park with your RV into Yosemite Valley, those are the limitations you're going to run into. 
Um, you can, of course, camp outside of the park and then drive in with your vehicle, though, and that's what we did. So we'll talk about some of the highlights of what we saw and some of the things that we loved as soon as we come back. So I would divide Yosemite National Park into four parts. So Hetch Hetchy, Mariposa Grove, Tioga Road, and Yosemite Valley. So we'll talk about all four of those parts briefly. So Hetch Hetchy is kind of the upper reservoir canyon area. It's on the northwest part of the park. So you'd be accessing it probably easiest if you're coming in from Highway 120, which is that big oak flat um, area, you can actually head a little bit north and get to the Hetch Hetchy entrance and take that road. Now, this road is not suitable for RVs. I think the limit on it is something like 24 feet. So you can just take a personal vehicle. Apparently, that's got a lot of kind of switchbacks and winding to it. So it just ends up not being suitable for something that's longer in length. It does go through a beautiful kind of canyon area, and apparently it's um, it's one that Muir described as almost a rival to Yosemite Valley. So I'm sure it's really beautiful. We didn't have time to make it up here. Um, there is a reservoir that's up there, and actually this is a lot of the drinking water that's used for nearby areas in California. You um, are not allowed to swim or boat or anything else on the reservoir probably because it's also drinking water. And of course, they usually don't allow that kind of stuff, boats and stuff in the national park waters anyway. But it would be a beautiful area to see and it would be a quiet place to do hiking. There's a lot fewer people that come here. So um, if, if you want to go somewhere where you have a little bit more solitude and you can just enjoy the scenery, this is probably the location to visit um, or try to stay outside of and at least spend a day at. So that's Hetch Hetchy. The next place to talk about is Mariposa Grove. So again, like I mentioned on the south entrance, so taking Highway 41 to come up from the south side of the park on that west side, you would get into Mariposa Grove. And this is one of the three sequoia groves that they have in the park. And it's the biggest of the three sequoia groves. And it's probably the most accessible and easily accessed because you don't necessarily have to have a pretty big hike to get into where the grove's at. They had it closed for a while, like in 2015 through 18, and they were doing some renovations, but it's opened again. And if you're not planning to go to any other area where you're going to see sequoias, then I would highly recommend at least taking a day to go down to this area so that you can see the sequoia trees because they are just amazing and phenomenal. And um, it's so exciting to see your kids' faces light up or your own face light up when you see how giant these amazing trees are. So if you have never been to a sequoia forest and you're not planning to head to, you know, sequoia, we were heading off to Sequoia National Park the next day or well, a few days after this. So we ended up not going to the Mariposa Grove, but it would be a great place to see. And then the um, town of Wawona has a hill um, Pioneer Yosemite History Center, and they have different historic buildings. So they do a bunch of different things that are tied into teaching about the history and the time period and how people used to live back here. Now, this visitor center that they have on this entrance isn't open in the fall. And we were at Yosemite. Oh, I should have mentioned that. We were at Yosemite the last week of October. So definitely late fall. 
Um, it was a little bit of a risky trip because any moment that road for Tioga Road could close and we knew that coming into it and we knew we could have a three to four hour detour, but we, we did it anyway. The weather held out and it was perfect and we got the fall leaves. Um, but visiting in the fall means, of course, less people and we could park anywhere we needed throughout the trip. But it also meant that there's fewer resources. So different campgrounds are closed, different visitor centers are closed. So you just have to um, kind of accept that condition if you're going to go there during the off season, the shoulder season. But we always find it's worth it because you have fewer people there. So that's Mariposa Grove. Um, like I mentioned at the beginning, Mariposa Grove was one of the areas that was protected by Abraham Lincoln as part of that Yosemite grant. So they were trying to prevent these giant trees from being destroyed. And this was one of the areas that Teddy Roosevelt went to on his trip. And so he got to see the huge the huge sequoia trees and realize how important it was to protect them and see what the destruction destruction looked like in the nearby areas. So um, really a cool thing to see, especially if you're not planning to go anywhere else with sequoias. The third thing to talk about is Tioga Road. So like I mentioned, we did take this. Tioga Pass is on the east side. So that's as you're coming from Highway 395, which is the north-south route along the Sierras on the eastern side. You cut across on Highway 120, which is Tioga Road, and that goes through the park. So it's, um, I think once you just get up that pass, there's not anything else on the route that's really that terrifying. And like I said, we didn't even find Tioga Pass to be all that scary as well. So um, we also, though, were coming westbound on it. I think if you were heading eastbound and leaving the park from this route, it would you might feel that steepness and it might be a little bit scarier. But um, plenty of places to pull over and it's totally fine. As you come in through that entrance, one of the first things you see is Olmstead Point. And there's limited parking here, but because there were so few people, we were able to pull the RV into one of the RV spots and we were still towing the Jeep. So, you know, we're probably... 50, 55 feet in length at this point. We were able to pull into a spot, no problem. And then we could get out and hike around a little bit. What you're seeing in the distance is the back of Half Dome. So it's really cool because this was our first view of these giant granite boulders, these mountains of granite that are um, Yosemite National Park. So Half Dome, of course, is one of the most um, visible and it's it's it looks like half of a dome. It's literally a circle, but cut, or a sphere more and then cut in half. And so you're seeing this huge granite um, mountain and you can see that in the distance. So that was super cool. If you then keep traveling on Tioga Road, the next thing you really get to is Tanaya Lake, and that's a beautiful lake. It doesn't have that long of a little hiking trail to kind of walk around. We didn't do the entire hiking trail. We just walked for a little while. It was pretty windy that day, and we were also trying to get to the other end and to our campsite before dark. So we didn't spend a ton of time at Tanaya Lake, but it was very beautiful to see. And once again, we were able to just pull the RV over on the side of the road, and there were a bunch of parking spots open. Um, and we were able to just pull into one of those and keep the the toad connected and and uh, walk around. So that worked out well. Tuolumne is um, kind of the next space you get to, the Tuolumne Meadows. So these big, beautiful meadows, and you can kind of see the rivers flowing through it. Um, pretty place to see. And then as you're uh, further going onto Tioga Road and kind of nearing where it's going to meet up with uh, the other roads and kind of head to the... Um, western part of the park 
then you're going to get up to where the Tuolumne Grove is and the Mearsed Grove. So these are the other two sequoia groves that they have in the park. The Mearsed Grove has 20 sequoias at it. It's about a three-hour hike, so it's like three and a half miles. Um, I think that's round trip, but you know you have a bit of hiking to get out to this. But if you want to see a grove, a sequoia grove, and you don't want a lot of other people there with you, then the Merced Grove would be a good option. For Tuolumne Grove, you also need to hike into it. I think there's 25 sequoias at this grove, and um, it's only about a mile on that hike, but you do have a bit of an elevation drop. And so you drop down to do the hike, and then so don't forget, you got to hike that back up on your way out of there. Um, but that would be a shorter hike if you wanted to be in a grove. If you didn't have time to travel all the way down to Mariposa Grove, which is the largest of the three groves that they have there. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Yosemite Valley. So Yosemite Valley really is the crown jewel of the park. Be sure to visit this during your trip. Um, it's actually a loop. So the road comes in and it does a loop that goes around and then comes back out. It's 13 miles in total. There's a few different ways you can do this loop. So you're not really going to be able to loop it with your RV. If you're camping in the campground, that's fine. And you have some other options. So you don't need to drive your RV around, but you don't want to have to take your RV on this loop and expect to be able to park and find places to stop and be able to pull it in. Just it's too tight. There's not that many parking spots as it is. So don't plan on using your RV to do this loop. Um, there's other options. So there's really three other options. Um, one, you could bike this. It is only 13 miles. So, you know, our kids are definitely not doing a 13 mile bike ride, but I think for some adults that wouldn't be too bad. And you'd easily be able to stop then and see everything that you want to see and do hikes or whatever it is that you want to do. So biking's a nice option. Second is you can take a personal vehicle as long as it's off season and there's parking. If it's the heat of the summer, good luck trying to find parking. This is one of the busiest parks. It's in the top 10. I think it gets about 5 million visitors a year and the summer months are extremely busy. So I don't think that a personal vehicle is a great option if you're there during the summer. We were able to use a personal vehicle, but again, we were there in shoulder season, really at, in late fall before the winter weather really came in and um, limited a bunch of the access. So personal vehicle you could use, but um, other than just getting to one spot and then parking your personal vehicle, like in the downtown, like the Yosemite village parking, you could maybe park your personal vehicle and then take the shuttle system throughout. So that's the third option is the shuttle system. So the shuttle system in the winter months, like kind of fall off season goes year round throughout the village area. So you have kind of the lodge and you have the Ansel Adams gallery. There's the museum that's over there. There's the um, conservation center. And then it goes over to where the campgrounds are at. And so that's kind of like the upper pines and lower pines. So the whole half dome village, I think is what they call it, where the campsites and stuff are at. So year round, the shuttle will do that loop. And then in the summer months, it also does a larger loop where it'll take you out by El Capitan and then over to um, 
the kind of cathedral beach area. So that gets you a little bit closer to where Bridal Veil Falls is. So those are your three options. You can take a personal vehicle, but probably only on the off season or just to park in the main parking areas. And then the shuttle's the main way that you're getting around the area or biking if you want to bike it. I guess you could walk too, but 13 miles is a lot of walking. So especially if you want to do hikes when you get to different places. So that's your options for getting around. Now, in terms of what you want to see as you're driving around, we actually did a little detour as we were first coming in. And instead of going straight into the village, um, we went and did the little bit of a um, of a jot to the right that'll take you to the Bridal Veil Falls visitors area where you can park. And there's not actually a visitor center here, but there's a parking lot. It's not a very large parking lot and you can't back up um, here with a toad or anything. And you wouldn't be able to fit an RV, a large RV in here anyway. So we were in the Jeep, but it's a really nice short hike. It's super easy for kids. It, I don't know exactly, but it couldn't be more than like a quarter of a mile to get to the base of the falls. And then there's a bunch of boulders and rocks and stuff that are down there. They don't actually want you hiking on that to try to get closer to the falls. So you're really just seeing it from the area where they have a bit of kind of like a concrete path space that they want you to see it but it's a really cool waterfall to see it's 620 feet so this is a huge waterfall and we were there like I said in late fall so the last week of October and at that point in time Yosemite Falls is not flowing anymore it just doesn't have enough water but Bridal Veil Falls was still going so it was really cool to be able to see a waterfall and this was the waterfall that we were able to see. So then as you get back onto the loop and keep heading into the valley, you'll come across El Capitan, which will be on your left. This is the huge 3,500-foot vertical granite wall that just juts out of the ground and, and heads up. And um, if it, as if that wasn't cool enough to see, you usually can see climbers that are on the mountain. If you haven't seen the movie Free Solo, you definitely want to check that out ahead of time. It's actually a documentary about a professional rock climber, Alex Honnold, who is um, the first person ever to free solo climb, meaning he's not using any ropes or anything to climb Al Capitan. So just insane. I think it's amazing the people that are climbing it with ropes. I mean, that's spectacular as well. And what's really cool is you can see these people on their um, either climbing or we were seeing people towards uh, nighttime or towards the evening. And so they had their little like hammock thing set up on the sides of the mountain because they're going to sleep there that night and then continue climbing up the next day. So really cool to see as if, as if the nature wasn't cool enough on its own, seeing the climbers was really neat as well. And I'm pretty sure free solo is free right now on Amazon prime video or yeah, through Amazon prime video. I remember seeing it somewhere free. It might've been Netflix, but check that out. Cause it will get you excited for the trip and it'll just make you be in awe of these people that are doing these climbs. So that's Al Capitan. As you keep heading forward, you can see Half Dome in the distance. Um, you'd have to drive up further up by like the Half Dome parking and then hike up if you wanted to get closer to that area. We only went as far as the Yosemite Valley parking lot and we parked there and then went around the little village. So the village that they have um, is really cool. I mean, they have a bunch of stuff there. They have a post office there. They also have um, some different places where you can get a bite to eat. 
They have a park ranger station area, a visitor center where you can talk with the park rangers and get recommendations on hikes and stuff, get the junior ranger packets. There's a big interactive area. And then there's kind of like um, Native American specialist area where they have they have a whole kind of village area set up that shows you what some of the housing would have been like. There's usually somebody there to answer questions about things. There happened to be a basket display that was going on while we were there. Um, so we were able to see that and enjoy that. There's also, that's the Indian cultural exhibit. So yeah, that's the correct term. So um, really cool to see. There's a lot of different programs that are happening. We actually did not make it in time to go on one of the ranger-led hikes, but they allow the kids, or at least in the off-season, to go through the Indian cultural exhibit and then meet with the interpretive specialist that they had there and answer different questions and go through things to work on their junior ranger packets. So that was a nice feature. So then as we kept driving the loop to head out of there, we stopped at kind of a meadows area at the base by Yosemite Falls. It's Well, it's not super close to Yosemite Falls, but you can hike over to where the base of Yosemite Falls is at. And you could continue hiking up as well. Um, we had little kids, so we weren't doing any major hikes, but it's just nice to get out and stretch your legs and go see that. It's really beautiful. And of course, you have Al Capitan's not too far in the distance. Um, we kept driving then and stopped for a while at El Capitan and saw that around the base of it. And that's where really where we could see a bunch of the climbers that were up on the mountain. And then we continued up to Tunnel View. So this is going towards Wawona. So this is heading up onto 41. And you can stop there before the tunnel and park your car. There's a small parking lot. It probably only holds like uh, 20 cars or so. So it's really not very large, but, um, in the off season, we were fine getting a parking spot. I think it's really worth it to try to be able to stop here and be able to see tunnel view and, and get that view of the Valley. So it's really worth trying to make that work. We were actually there and it was almost sunset. So it was starting to get dark and it meant that the Valley was starting to get those pinks and purples to it. And um, like I mentioned before, you're able to see El Capitan, Half Dome, and Bridal Veil Falls all at the same shot. So that was really neat. And what we ended up doing is we, we turned the Jeep around and parked on the parking lot that's on the south side of the road. There were fewer people there. And then you can easily get onto a small path. Nobody else was on this hike. We only had to go up maybe maybe a mile at the most, but I think it was even less than a mile um, to a place called Inspiration Point. And this is actually one of the spots where Ansel Adams has this great shot of the Yosemite Valley. So if you want that view that you get from Tunnel View, um, you can see that at Tunnel View. But if you want a nice hike that isn't isn't terribly difficult. There is a bit of an elevation gain, but it's not that long. And you can just hike up to Inspiration Point and really see that same view that he saw. And there's probably going to be nobody around you. So this is one hike that I think is a really good one to see because it was the only one that we were able to do where we didn't have other people next to us. So within at least the valley. So uh, really a cool hike and a great way to see that beautiful landscape and um really feel like you're connected with the people that had been there before us. So um, neat place to stop and see. And when we come back, we're going to talk about camping for the park.
In terms of camping, I first wanted to talk about the NPS camping that's actually within the park. This is by far the best option if you just want to be right there in the action and see everything. Because unfortunately, all of the places that you can camp at that are outside of the park are really outside of the park. So we're talking about at least you know, a half hour drive to the entrance for Yosemite National Park, not to mention then the further drive that you have to actually get into the valley. So it's easily an hour or up to two hours for you to get from your RV place into Yosemite Valley from wherever you're staying, if you are staying outside of the park. And that's a huge inconvenience um, when you're talking about maybe having limited days or just being able to try to see as much of the park as you can and then having to travel so far to get back to your RV. But of course, being in the park is not always an option for everybody. So we were, uh, we did this trip with about four days notice. So we were originally supposed to head down to Joshua Tree, but there was a big blizzard in Colorado in October and it, it closed I-70 to the west and it closed I-25 heading to the south. So we didn't really have a way to head to the southern part of the U.S. So instead we headed north to Wyoming and then headed over to Yosemite. So great chance to see Yosemite. Glad we did it, but we didn't have any prior planning for this trip. So there were no reservations for us available to get into the park. And they always have some first come first serve. But when you're in a big RV and when you're traveling um, 20 hours to get to a park, you don't necessarily want to uh, rely on the first come first serve. So we don't like to do that either. We like to try to book something. But in terms of actually staying in the park, you do have a few different options. If you are a larger RV, they actually have a few places that are open in the summer that can accommodate up to a 40 foot RV. But I think it's literally six or eight sites for the whole park that can accommodate up to 40 feet. Now, they have a few more places that say they can accommodate up to 35 feet. And I'll tell you, a lot of the national parks have a limit on 35 feet being the max, and technically our Jayco Seneca is 37 feet, but miraculously, we shrink down to 35 feet whenever we're going to a national park. Because we have just found, like Coulter Bay and Grand Tetons, we've just found that we're able to fit into that. Um, so we usually just say, yeah, okay, we're 35 feet, and we take one of those, we're able to take one of those spots. Now, the issue with Yosemite Valley is because of the way that the sites are laid out, you literally don't have a turning radius to back into the actual campsite. So they're all back in spots. And because of the limitations with the trees and everything, you don't have a turning radius to get into the spot. So I don't know if our whole idea that we'll be fine at a 35 foot site really will work at this park. They actually go so far to say that if you're pulling a trailer, the trailer cannot be more than, is it 24 or 25 feet? So you're even more limited with the trailer just because of that um, not being able to do the proper backing up and having the turn radius to make it into the spots. So I think the motorhome limit on these larger spots are 35 feet, but only 24 feet if it's a travel trailer that you have with you. So a lot of limitations with size. So that's a bit of a problem. Also getting reservations for the campgrounds are insane. This is um, one of the busiest parks and it's usually the kind of place that is booked a long time in advance, specifically in advance. They will tell you on the NPS website that it's five months in advance, but don't put that in your head. Think four months in advance and I'll tell you why. So this is the way that it works. Let's say that you want to go 
for the 4th of July weekend. Okay, so the way it works is the reservations will open for four to five months before that date, specifically four months before that date, but it'll open up for a month's worth of reservations for a month time. So for example, if you wanted to arrive arrive between June 15th and July 14th, your reservation day would be February 15th. So that's February 15th is four months before June 15th. That's why I'm saying put it in your head that it's four months before the date that it opens up. It's just at that point when it opens up, at that four month ahead of time, it's opening for an entire month. So it's opening from June 15th dates all the way up to July 14th dates. So if you wanted to go on the 4th of July, that's during that time stretch, right? Of June 15th to July 14th. So you need to book on on February 15th. Don't put it in your head, oh, I can do this five, uh, you know, five months in advance, or I need to do this March first or second or whatever to correlate with the first part of July. It's it's the four months before the earliest date that it opens. And I'll put a link. They have on their website the specific. So if you have this arrival date, this is the date that you need to make your reservations. And the reservations open up at 7 a.m. Pacific time. And this is one of those things. You just set your clock and you make sure that you're trying to get those reservation dates as soon as you um, want them, as soon as you can get them. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can get to that and specifically see what are my dates and what do I need to get in terms of the bigger RV campsites that are available. So Upper Pines has stuff that's up to 35 feet. The Lower Pines has the 40 foot sites, but that's not open in the off season. So when we were there, it wasn't open. So the Upper Pines would have been the only option. And then Wawona, which is the town that's kind of on the south part, they can accommodate up to 35 feet. And um, Bridal Veil Creek Camp, that isn't open year round. That's just um, kind of a summertime one and then Hogden Meadow which I guess is in the northern part we must have passed by that but I'm not quite sure where that was at so there's a few different places and of course there's a lot more options if you have a smaller RV or if you're just tent camping I mean you have a ton of options and you might actually be able to get a first come first serve if you get there early enough in the morning but for the big rigs not that many options. You definitely want to make sure that you have that reservation ahead of time. And I think the only option you have for actually getting into the park is Highway 140. So don't forget that part. Okay, in terms of private spots, where can you park? So private campgrounds that are outside of the park. Um, From the south side, there's a town called Oakhurst, and it looks like it's about an hour from that south entrance at the Mariposa Grove. That might be an option. It looked like they had a number of, well, a number, meaning, you know, three or four different RV parks. So there might be some different options there on that south side. In terms of Highway 140, so the El Portal um, Road, there's a Indian Flat RV park that shows it's probably only about 20 minutes from outside of the park. So that might be a good option as one of the closest places you can go to. Um, and then the next option is Highway 120, which was that big oak flat road. This is where we went to, and this is near the town of Groveland. So most of these RV sites are going to have an address in Groveland. The closest one to the Yosemite entrance is about 25, 30 minutes from the entrance, and that's Yosemite Lakes RV Resort. We didn't stay here. It, it didn't... From the campground reviews that I was reading from the Allstays app, it didn't look like it was as highly rated as Yosemite Ridge, which was the next furthest out. So that's where we ended up staying. 
There really aren't any of the RV parks that have overwhelming, glowing reviews. So um, it seems that they all have some things that people find as issues and uh, maybe are a little bit older and don't necessarily have a ton of amenities. So there's not really anyone who's a very clear winner. This place is actually prime for an amazing you know, KOA or a big, amazing RV park, something like the on the West Glacier KOA, if something like that came in to the west side of Yosemite, they would make a killing because it is so needed, um, a really phenomenal RV park. But um, since they don't have it, when you're trying to look at your best option, the like I said, the Yosemite Lakes RV Resort is your closest. We didn't stay there. We just kind of saw it at the distance. I think that the um, Gone with the Winds have a video where they stayed here and so they have a review so you can see that um, we ended up staying at Yosemite Ridge Resort which is about 40 minutes from the entrance for Yosemite National Park and um, you know w- we liked it there was uh, it was a little tight to get into so there's some cabins and then there's only a number of spots I don't remember how many exactly but not that many maybe 11 ish or so so not a ton of spots but we were definitely in the largest of the spots. It was kind of a big pull-through area, and we had a nice um, sitting area and a big grassy area, so it was really pretty. A little tight to get in and out for our 37-foot RV, um, especially. We couldn't even deal with the towing. We had to um, wait until we were in the front of the office in order to hook up our Jeep because we couldn't get into the spot or out of it with the Jeep hooked up. So a little bit tight. And then the other thing that was a huge bummer is um, we booked intentionally at a private campground outside so we could hook up to electrical because we had our dog with us. And when we travel with the dog, we don't like to leave her in the RV when it could be too hot or too cold and not have any power to accommodate air conditioning or anything else. So we don't need the power for the um, heat, but we did, uh, we would need some electrical power to run the AC. So we like to stay at a campsite so that it's more comfortable for her as we're doing our daytime travels. And so that's part of the reason that we paid to stay at this site and didn't even consider doing a first come first serve type deal within the park. And unfortunately, when we got there, they didn't have any power. Now, it wasn't their fault. Um, California has a lot of wildfire issues, and PG&E, will, which is their power company for their utilities, will just shut off power if there's too much wind or any sort of risk where there could be a down power line and cause more fires. So they literally cut the power off to all the people that are in this area for two days. So the whole um, two nights that we stayed there, there was never any power. Um, so... That was a bummer, um, but the resort was nice enough to refund me some money, even though it wasn't even their fault, but we were paying for this hookup site that we had absolutely no hookups for, because even the water pump required water, so we had we had nothing. <laughs> we had no water or electrical or anything. Now, fortunately, it was plenty um, cool, so it wasn't an issue to try to keep the air conditioning on. In fact, we ended up running the heat for our dog while we were gone. And then the next um, option on Groveland would be Yosemite Pines. Um, this is a little bit closer to the town of Groveland, so you're kind of near a town if you want to do town-type stuff as well on your trip. But it's also about 50 to 60 minutes to get into the park, so further drive into the park. So none of the options are super close. This is um, some big, rugged, mountainous area, and there are some kind of national forest areas where maybe you can just 
pull over. And if you're going to boondock anyway, you can just pull over and stay at one of those sites. You can't do any sort of boondocking within the park, of course, um, but there's some national forest area that's outside of the park. So that might be an option too, if you just want kind of some free boondocking. So that's it for camping. Um, just a few kind of last minute notes. Uh, one thing is a book recommendation. So I always try to prep the kids for our trip ahead of time by checking out whatever I can that tells us about the animals or the ecosystems or geology or whatever we can learn about the parks before we actually head to them. And one book that I particularly liked is a picture book called The Camping Trip That Changed America. And the author's name is Barbara Rosenstock. She actually has a bunch of different books that are about historical people. And she doesn't have it read like um, a boring nonfiction. Instead, she really tells a story about that person and something that happened in their life or something that they're known for. So in The Camping Trip That Changed America, she tells the story of Teddy Roosevelt going out to do the camping trip with John Muir and kind of what that meant. So it's a picture book. It's I guess you could say it's meant for kids, but don't let that fool you. If you're an adult, this is still a fun book to just check out. Um, you can probably get it from your library and read that ahead of time or get your kids excited and have them read that ahead of time. So that is a good recommendation um, that I think you'll like. And then a uh, next thing to know, the Junior Ranger program at Yosemite is a lot like you have at um, Yellowstone, some of the bigger parks where you're paying, I think it's only like $3, but you are paying to get the packet. And then once the kids complete the packet, then they get their badge. So um, that's a little bit different than some of the other places. So just so you know ahead of time that you are going to have to pay for that. And the other thing we didn't realize is they have a different packet for, it must go up to age six. Yeah, it must go up to age six because Elsa was still six at the time that we went. So I think they have a packet for the, the like the young cubs or something. It's like three to six. And then the next packet is seven and up for age. So we went with the younger packet. I should have just went with the upper one, but I didn't think about it. And so then they turn them in and they went to get their badges and, and Greta, the older, our older daughter got a full badge, one of the typical wood badges. And Elsa ended up getting, I think it was like a sticker or something. So that's what they had for the younger kids. And she was really disappointed because she's, she's been collecting her badges from all the different places. And so she feels like she doesn't really have a badge from Yosemite. So next time we go, she'll be, she's old enough now she can get the older packet. Or if you have kids that care about that, just get the older packet for them from the beginning so that they can actually get the wood badge if they care about getting those badges. And then the last thing I wanted to mention is nearby parks and things that you want to check out. So you're only about three hours, three or four hours from Death Valley. As long as Tioga Road is open, you head across that to get from Yosemite over onto Highway 359. And Highway 359 is great. We actually stayed in Mammoth Lake the night before we came to Yosemite. You can see Devil's Post Pile National Monument while you're over there. There's a great RV park over there and um, just fantastic forest and the huge pine cones and amazing trees. And there's different hot springs, natural hot springs that you can walk to and, and just soak in that are pretty close to there. So a lot of cool things to see. And that would take you the route that gets you over to Death Valley as well. So it's about three hours to Death Valley if Tioga Road is open and you can get across. Or from the Yosemite Valley side, if you head south, which is what we ended up doing, well, we went back to the main highway and then headed south. You can get down to Sequoia National Park, which is only about three hours. Kings Canyon's only about two and a half hours. So we stayed outside of Sequoia and then just ended up 
um, touring through Sequoia and Kings Canyon parks from that launching point. And I'll do another podcast about that and where we stayed and stuff. But you're really close to those other parks. So if it matters to you to see some other national parks, this is a great time to do it and just um, check off a few other ones on your list. So hopefully there was some information in here that's useful for your Yosemite trip and makes it easier for you to plan it and lets you have a more enjoyable time because you know about something or um, you have some ideas. So uh, thank you so much for listening. And thank you to the people who have given me reviews. I just realized how to log in and actually see that. So um, thank you for everyone who's given me a, a five-star review. And um, and thank you to Anne in Alabama, who was nice enough to take the time and share some kind words about the, pi- uh, the podcast. So you made my December, Anne. So thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the parks.